fat cells produce estrogen. So the more body fat you have on you, the more estrogen you have in your body. The less body fat you have on you, the less estrogen you have in your body. It's a very general guideline. And estrogen is an accelerator to serotonin. So when you don't have enough estrogen in the body, then you are going to feel more depressed. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hey guys. Hello. Welcome back to Almost 30 Podcast. It is us. It is us. We're so much more than a podcast. We are uh, fashion icons. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Truly. One of the things people say is that we're fashion icons. (laughs) Looking like a, a mess. Oh man. We just had a an interview before where she w- she showed up looking amazing. And so many people do. do yeah. Like nine times out of 10. Granted, we don't care either way and we just appreciate them being there, but we oh, looked real stanky. I know. <laughs> I, I don't think she wanted to hug me. <laughs> I actually felt the same way. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I think she probably wants to stay away from me. My crotch too. sweat should not touch her satin Honestly, shirt. <laughs> I do too. Um, I ordered a bunch of shit. For Coachella. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. all like crazy costumey stuff. And um, every single thing was stolen from the box, except for one pair of sunglasses that apparently they didn't like. Wow. <laughs> they had their pick and they, they grabbed all this crazy wild clothes, which I will definitely see on the boardwalk. It's Can't funny because everything they got, I'm like, yo, if I was a homeless person, I'd be rocking that like It's perfect Venice boardwalk attire. Perfect. Honestly, I was like, that's actually a good call. That'd be cool if they left a note and was like, hey, listen, like, could you return these sunglasses and get another one and we could <laughs> I'll come back? I was just like, I guess this wasn't for me. That is so fucking frustrating. What yeah, do you do? Because like, like three times. I know. It's You're interesting very calm what, about what they, it. It happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting what they I just am always interested. I'm like, oh, what are you what's what are you taking and why? And you know, I don't know. Most and this sucks because I this was a place that I couldn't return anything. So it's just kind of a loss. But it was actually a sign for me that I shouldn't be shopping from this place anyways. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of my sign is that I've been thinking a lot about that lately. And so I was like, oh, okay, I got it. And what are the odds that no one is walking by and seeing this happen? Yeah. What are the odds? Yeah. Justin's like, it's probably someone in the, the building. Yeah, you think? 100. Uh, it's always like an inside job. Anyways, you know, else is anyway. an inside job, like going home to Cincinnati for the weekend. Oh, wow. Bless. Tell me more. Bless. I know we haven't caught up about this. So since our ayahuasca experience, it's been interesting. You know, I've seen things come through and it's actually been really challenging because it's felt like a slow revealing of sides of myself that 
I need to deal with. And so it wasn't like when we did ayahuasca in at Rhythmia that I saw things very clearly, but now I am and now I do. And you know, there's just been like small learnings about myself. Um, but yeah, Ohio was, you know, it was so good to see Caitlin and so good to see my sister and they're just doing so well. And, you know, just to be where I'm from. And it was great to be with my mom. And it's just nice because all three of them are in such good places. And it's so funny, like people's experience with me changes so much depending on how they're feeling. And I, I, I do this probably in the reverse. But when someone close to me in my life is happy, they are also happy with me and they are also loving to me and they're also kind to me. And they also see me as someone, you know, we're doing good or like they love me. It's not like they love me more, but like the experience that we have together is better. They see me in a better light. They see me as the positive things rather than seeing me as like the negative reflection things whenever they're doing bad. So if someone close to me is not doing well as it relates to relationships or body or, you know whatever the issues that person has, I seem to like exacerbate it and just don't really provide help for them in being in their lives. And it's kind of like a weird situation that I've just had to navigate as, you know, a lot of transitions that my mom has gone through or my sister has gone through or Caitlin has gone through as something that I've like kind of, as I've gotten older, I've noticed it. And I'm like, I could just try and be the constant you know, especially for these relationships in my life, I'm more of a constant than others because I don't allow myself to not be a constant. That's like the role that I put on, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like someone that's strong or stern or, you know, directed. they go to for advice or whatever. Yeah. But I really don't even talk that much, to be honest. Like I don't really share much of my opinion because my opinion is so far outside of what anyone else is talking about. It's like actually black, you know, it's Mm -hmm. crazy. It's crazy Mm -hmm. to think. So sometimes it's harder to explain myself, but I was kind of thinking, I'm like, I should really speak up more. I should really express myself more because it's in these conversations that, you know, it's not like I'm going to elicit change or incite change, but like trying to, instead of just taking the route of ease and not talking and not expressing myself is like trying to express myself more. Because I was thinking like a lot of the situations, a conversation, as an example, we talked about like religion or something. We were talking about the Catholic church because you know, in Ohio, that's how I grew up. And uh, that's how a lot of the people that I associated with grew up. And someone was saying something about it. And I was like, oh, I have so many thoughts on this and I'm not saying any of them. You know, it was just like, but I didn't know why. It was like, I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to make anyone feel bad. I didn't want to change their perspective of something that was helpful for them you know, so in a way it's positive, but I was like, I just was, it was an interesting thought. I'm like, why am I not doing this? Because if it was my friend with my friends in LA, I'd be like, right. All right. Gather around children. I also think there's so many layers in that moment where like, if you speak up about anything, at least this is my experience where they're like, well, she's lives in LA now and very liberal and she's kind of a hippie and she uses coconut oil for her toothpaste. Mm. You know, it's like this weird. Oh my God. Every every place we go, my mom's like, she's vegan. (laughs) We're we're literally at like we're literally at Nordstrom, and she's like telling the the woman that I'm vegan. They're like, "Do you want water?" She's like, she's vegan. So. Honestly, it's like no one asked. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they're like kind of pro- based on their mood and and things yes. like that. They're projecting onto you and kind of seeing you through that specific yes. lens. And then also like you're in kind of a very 
peaceful, grounded place, which also, if you kind of look through that lens or project, not, not. then like, it, it's almost like, why would I say anything? Cause that might shake me out of that. Uh, like that's true. Grounded. That's place, true. Depending on how they react. That's true. But it's, but it's interesting to think about how could you say that and have a productive conversation rather than... It's also too like, this is what it is too. Actually now that in addition to that, now that I'm kind of, you know, speaking this aloud is that my, me sharing my opinion on example, once again, religion and how it's evolved and changed in the way I see organized religion now is a very clear indicator of how much I've changed. And for a lot of times the people like the ones I'm talking about that have known me since second grade, see me in a very specific light. And for me to kind of change that perspective by exploring or explaining ways in which I've changed and grow would kind of be like, what the fuck? Totally. You know, it'd be like, wow, like she really, I mean, because they think I've changed so much too, and I have, but it would just be like another clear indicator of that. And sometimes it's just like, I don't know, it's just, easier to not. And I kind of want to, for a lot of relationships, like I just want to kind of give people a good experience with me and whatever I could do for them. Cause I don't need, I need people and I need support and I need help for a lot of things, but oftentimes people want to be heard. People want to, you know, work through things, talk through things. So it's nice to be that for people. Mm -hmm. I feel that because at the end of the day, you're not going to be the one to change them or their mind. Totally. And then me, you know, and then me, you know, this isn't even like a, like a judgmental thing because it's like so nice to get away and be like, that's, you know, that's true awareness because it's like, I don't know, you know, I'm not doing anything that I'm normally doing. I'm not in a place where I normally am. It doesn't feel like home necessarily to me. It feels like a place that I've I've lived. Um, but yeah, it was, it's always just such an interesting experience to be. Yeah. How was the dress shopping? Oh my God. Fun. So um, I heard, I think you guys know I'm meeting a new dad. Mm-hmm. So my mom's getting remarried. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, I'm really glad that I went for it. Good. It was, it was, it was so darling. It was just darling. You know, it was like so, my mom is so happy. And there was actually a really beautiful moment. And it's interesting how much I share with Almost 30 Nation, by the way. But there was a really beautiful moment where my sister and I were with my mom and we were sitting at dinner and, you know, my mom and her new fiance haven't been dating a very long time. And, you know, me and my sister and my mom kind of like go hard all the time on each other. So we weren't saying anything, but we were kind of like made mention that we felt like it was fast, you know, that we wanted to like just express you and that. Your sister said yeah, that. Mm-hmm. to my mom. We wanted to express that in some way because that was what we were feeling. And, you know, it was a really beautiful moment where I actually had another realization. But in this moment, my mom was very honest and vulnerable. And she said, you know, Bryn, you've dated this person. And, you know, for a long time, I never thought he was a fit and I never thought he was good for you. But I trusted you that you were going to make the right decision. And Krista, you know, you've dated people in your life that I knew weren't a good fit and I knew weren't meant for you, but I trusted you to make the right decision. And it's very true. Like my parents have always let me Mm -hmm. date who I want, make my own mistakes, whether it was because they 
didn't want to engage in that. And because it was hard to be with me through some of the challenges that I've been through or not, they really have let me make my own decisions. So it was a really beautiful moment of like honesty and vulnerability and recognition of our feelings on that. It was fast and then taking ownership of it. You know, I thought it was like, and that was actually the thing that I was thinking about with my childhood and growing up was that that was what was missing for me was the honesty and the vulnerability in some of the struggles that my mom had been through, that my dad had been through, that they had together in their relationship. And a lot of times children, we we can sense, we know, they know when you're not telling the truth, they know when you're not dishonest. And I don't have children, but I try to be around kids as much as I can, whether I'm babysitting or whatever it is. And children are most attracted to me when I'm being very, very vulnerable and honest and I'm being completely myself. If I'm being, hi, how are you? What's going on? They they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to hang out with me. It's really when you drop in to that calm, centered self that isn't putting on a show that they are the most drawn to you. And I felt like a lot of times in my life, it was the facade of like, parents know everything. We know everything. We are the parents. We are perfect. We you know, never made mistakes, like da-da-da-da. That was missing. That made it challenging for me to connect, to understand, and to feel like I was seeing the real person. You know, it was always like, I, 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 I'm seeing it at some points, you know, when some things would, when push came to shove or shit would hit the fan. But then the other points, it felt like a, a facade to me. Completely, yeah. And you're right, like kids just know. Kids might not be able to articulate it, but it is a feeling and you can see them react to it, whether it's acting out or being quiet or, you know, being like, you know, alone or needing to be around people or needing attention. I just think, yeah, kids always know. And, you know, I think one, obviously we know this, but parents are always doing their best. It's like they're doing what they know. So thinking about like, truly, man, I wish my parents or you saying I wish my nothing you wish, but it's just like, I would have wanted them to be more honest and vulnerable. And to them, that would have been weak, that it would have been too much exposure to something that is so real and maybe not a, maybe not kid content. Like it is kind of an adult thing. However, I mean, I really want us to remember that, like if we're lucky enough to become parents where, you know, being as real as possible within like, the appropriate boundaries, right? Like, because kids feel that. And then then they are that. Then they are as honest. You know, I grew up where like, you know, my parents, same thing, like lots of facades in a in a way that they thought was best for us. You know, like I I respect that. But I they actually didn't really make me let me make a lot of my own decisions. And therefore I was always doubting myself. Therefore, I was lying when I thought my decision wasn't going to be up to their standards. And so I'm dealing with that now as an adult. Like, how do I, how am I confident in decisions that I make without doubting myself or th- whatever? So it's a really interesting thing. And it's like, you know, to go back home and to have these moments where you're like, oh wow. Like yep. full circle moments or just moments when you see your parents as humans, yep. yada, yada. So I'm glad that it was um, a really good trip. Yeah, it was really beautiful. There's a really beautiful Ram Dass quote about family that I really, really love. It says, if you think you are enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Ram Dass, who is Ooh. number one. Wow, yeah. I mean, that is the truest truth. I've said that before, quoting him. It is really like the most spiritual, you know, 
spiritually charged or emotionally charged relationship that you could have. Yeah. So many mirrors come up and like just yeah, completely. Well, that's great. And Hanging when's... in the nasty. And you know, I went to the bar for the last time in my <gasps> life. I literally was at the bar. I'm like, oh, I'm never coming in. I'm never going to a bar. <laughs> Mark my fucking Yo, words. Wait, was it like a football Saturday or Sunday? No, or what? it was at or night. baseball? No, <laughs> it was at night. And wow. I was like, yo, everyone here is a zombie right now. Of course, there was a fight outside. Of, of course. course. There's a fight Six o'clock on the dot. Literally, I'm like, oh shit. And you know what's funny is this is me being 30. Is nowadays fights break out. I'm like, y'all, I'm out of here. Out. I don't know who has a gun. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I don't know who has a gun or not. Out. You cannot play with shit like that. So I'm literally so far out. It's crazy. Yeah. Like peace. It upsets me too much. It's like, yeah, I'm afraid. And then I'm Same. also like, I, I get Same. like weirdly, ups- weirdly upset when it has Same. nothing to do with me. Um, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was like any people that are like, Hey, are you Francesca? <laughs> I'm like, no, because you're not gonna remember. Wow, wow. I know. That's been a, it's been a while since I've been. That's kind I'm of never situation. going again. I literally was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, I, I think I want to try and make it my life without ever going to a bar late night, like this late. You know, it's yeah. kind of like twelve or something. Oh, that's late. shit's shit's a mess that's after late. that point. Oh, I was a delight too. I'm like, yo, yo get me out of here. Get me out of here. Wow. Um. What's going on with you? Everything's been good. I'm like, a lot of people have been setting me up recently, which has been so sweet. So sweet. I'm like loving it. (laughs) It's so sweet because like for so long you depend on, and I know someone in the group was asking about this too, like, you know, just one calling in your partner, but uh, just being more conscious about the dating thing. And I know I've talked about like not drinking on the first date and just being more conscious about that. But two, like just allowing people who love you and see you to really like um, feel when someone might be a good match for you. And like, you know, most of the time it's it's not, not but it's not far off. Of course. So like the point here is like... T- tons of people and then there's only one. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And, and but what's been fun and how I've kind of like re... Uh, refocused how I'm reframed. like reframed. Thank you. How I'm looking at dating is um, feeling something or seeing something or experiencing something about that person. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Oh, like love, focusing yeah. on like what I really love about that person and just like literally sometimes writing it down and and feeling that and really experiencing it presently rather than being like, well, yeah, they're like nice, but like ah. they're also this. You know what I mean? Like I don't like this about them. And so this is why we're going to break up in three weeks or whatever it is. You know what I mean? And really yes. experiencing what is good about them because I have to remember that one, and I've said this before, where the next one doesn't have to be the one. And also they are... I want them... I want to believe that they're believing the same thing where sometimes I just cut things off really short and soon because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt them and that they're going to be disappointed with me because I've led them on or whatever it is. And to trust that like they're experiencing me fully and presently too, hopefully. And whether it works, great. And if not, we're both able to kind of keep moving along, having taken like the best parts of each other Mm. with us. I'm kind of... I'm. I say kind of seeing someone now because... I am. I am seeing someone now and but it does feel like that in between of like, oh, so we're not like formally dating because dates aren't happening consistently. And then I'm like, what are dates? Um, and what are my expectations? But um 
I'm loving- That's an interesting question. Yeah. If you were to answer that, what would you say? Uh, For me, consistency is really important. I think thoughtfulness is really important. I'm not asking for a fucking- Nobu night every week, right? Like I'm not asking for all the glitz and the glam and the dinners and the whatever. Although every once in a while, it's nice to be quartered in that way. But, and I, I just, there is a lack of awareness of that this, whatever is between us is a thing and that it should, and it deserves time and thoughtfulness in a way that is a bit more mature, I'm kind of lacking some maturity. <laughs> and it's not to, it's literally not to talk shit about other people. It's more so that like that's where they are. And so I've been really trying to meet people where they are and have and experience what I'm supposed to experience with them. But then I'm also just at a point where, you know, when do I kind of move on? Yeah. So I haven't moved on right now and I'm okay. I don't feel like. I'm not in turmoil every day. I'm just like, okay, like uh-huh. it's in the back of my head. But he's really, he's, it's so fun and playful. And like, I really do, I could be myself, which is such a gift. Yes. Any girls out there dating, you know that if you can really be yourself early, early on, it is like the most free feeling ever. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's fun. And having these other dates with people that people are setting me up with, with is great. And I'm, I feel like an observer, kind of what, like how you feel when you go home and you're just, you, I talk, but like talk less. And I'm just kind of like taking in what's happening instead of being the one that's like, I'm going to impress you. I'm going to perform for you. I'm going to be in this. You know, it's really just being and seeing if how I am just being is something that they're attracted to, <laughs> you know, um, I did like a, a Sunday night little date with with this guy who a friend set me up with. It's our s- third date actually. Wow. And we did like a walk on the beach and like That's at sunset. The of the date. And then we capped it off with like a little dive bar near the pier. And it was actually really sweet because it was still so early. I literally got home at like eight. It was awesome. But it was kind of fun. Like there was music playing. It like, But the thing in that setting was that he was super attentive and like nothing about it distracted him, even though it was like kind of loud and like a dive bar type feeling. But we found like a little nook. You're just talking, catching up on whatever. It was just really nice. And I was like, yes, I appreciate this moment, this Mm -hmm. day, him. I don't know what it is. And I'm trying not to let my mind run when it comes to dating. And that's... That's the name of the game for everyone. Truly, truly. Everyone's not present with that. Uh, yeah. Or with like, if with jobs, with yeah. career, with... Yeah. What is this experience? What is this person? What is this situation here to teach me? Yes. Yes. You know, or give me or bring me. Mm-hmm. And it, I guess it's not even about you too. Could also be about what am I here to bring to this person? Or what energy am I here to, to serve them with? And I think I'm so apt to, and I, I hope some of you out there relate where it's like, I just like, I kind of want want things like quickly and things to, you know, I want that satisfaction. And I've just been like repeating to myself, like patience, like everything, whether it's, you know, with work, with personal relationships, with like self-development, just like being more patient and not rushing through things and not like skipping this cute little date 
this like fun conversation, just because I don't know what's going to happen doesn't mean I need to like skip it, you know? Yes. So that is the latest. Still technically single. Almost 30 nations. Set me up. Let's no, go. Don't say, <laughs> don't say that. Someone reached out and was like, you would be crazy in the group. Uh, I want you to, I want to set you up with my brother or something like that. It was so cute. Probably not gonna. That would be a very beautiful thing. Or also probably not really gonna. Bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Honestly, just because you guys are my family, and I don't want to. Yeah, complicate. Things. Yeah, I don't want to keep it complicated for y'all. <laughs> uh, this week We're on the so podcast, excited. actually, before that, let's talk about tour. Oh yeah, uh, quick business. So we are going on tour. Uh, we've we've already been in Austin. It was incredible. Thank you so much for coming out. If you came out, uh, but next up on the docket is our May tour stops, which are in London and Denver. We're going to London first. Three events in London. One with Jenna Zoe, one with Peter Kelly, one with Milana Snow. So we have a variety. Jenna Zoe will be doing human design. You will get your charts. So we will have specific human design charts for everyone that attends the event. And then we will also give you all the tools and resources you need to read your own human design chart or read others. So that's going to be a really mm-hmm. interactive workshop with her. She is one of my favorite people. And then the Peter Kelly one is just going to be like a channeled conversation with her. She is, again, oh, powerhouse. You know, there's, there's no one like her. Her, her joy and her light and her ability to tap in is unparalleled. So we are pumped to be with her. Yeah. And Milana Snow, as always, our homie. a staple on our tours thus far. And um, we just love her so much. So she's an energy healer and we will be doing all things energy healing, tapping into your intuition. And what I love about Milana um, as it relates to our events is she really that does... I get a free healing. <laughs> yeah, truly. <laughs> Literally. She uh, taps into the energy of the group. So... I want to tell you more about the event, but I can tell you that it's probably going to be very specific to that day and those people. So it is a magical experience. Milana Snow, May 4th in London, Peter Kelly on May 7th, and Jenna Zoe on May 9th. You can find more information, almost30podcast.com. You can go to the events and tour tab of our new website. Um, And then in Denver on May 30th, we have an event with Natalie Miles, which is already more than... Yeah. Almost halfway, really selling out. Sold out. Yeah, <laughs> it's honest. wild. Yeah. So get those tickets if you're in Denver or if you can easily travel to Denver. This is not to be missed. Natalie is a, an intuitive, a medium. Um, she really helps people to um, connect with their intuition. We are all very intuitive, and how do we do that uh, more on a regular basis every day? And she will be um, giving messages live at the event. So it's really exciting. We're we're grateful. Yeah. So all of our events, really tangible takeaways, healings, readings, all of the things. Um, so if you are in London, we would love to see you. Go to almost30podcast.com to get tickets. And then for all the babes in Denver, we would love to see you. Make sure if you have friends in these cities, you can share with them. But you know, being on tour is one of the most fulfilling things that we do, creating community in all of these beautiful places. And we cannot wait for this year. On the podcast today, Donna James. I'm going to go freaking nuts. I love Donna. She is so beautiful, so funny, so articulate. The Archetype Diet is her book and it was fascinating. She's just like, she's my resident for me. She's my resident nutritionist, coach, all of the things because she integrates so much of the spirituality of the mental into what she does. 
So she sees the body as holistic. She sees fat as an example, as um, hormonal, as emotional, as all of these things. And I just love her approach. She's so smart, you guys. This interview has so much nutritional information, health information. Um, we talk hormones, we talk weight loss, we talk the different, we talk about the different archetypes that she lists in the book, um, what those mean, um, how those are expressed in different women and a lot of the women that she's worked with through her years and years and years of experience. Yeah, she's really about um, trusting ourselves and not shaming ourselves through the process of manifesting your um, own authentic body. Every one of us has different bodies, different needs. So really tapping into that. So loved this conversation. Um, thank you, Donna, for joining us in person, which was such a treat. Um, if this podcast resonates with you and you'd like to share it with your friends, that means the world to us. You can tag us on Instagram. Um, and also if you're called to leave a review on iTunes, that means so, so much. We'll read one on the other side of this episode. We read every one of them. So thank you for your feedback and love. Um, we use it in everything that we do. So again, we'll see you on tour. You rock. And to uh, our ambassadors who are popping up all over, we have over 50 ambassadors who are creating community where they are. If you are in a spot uh, in the country, in the world, where there is not an ambassador program and you uh, would like to be the lead ambassador, email us community at almost30podcast.com. Enjoy cool, cool. this episode. This is such a good one. I can't wait to re-listen. Ooh, let's go. We love you guys. And I'm so glad you're here. I feel like this conversation is so important for the women in our community for almost 30. And I love what you taught. You tie in so much of what we've had conversations about separately. So about hormone health, mm -hmm. about the emotional component of eating and diet, about the spirituality component about it, about, you know, your childhood. There's just so much that you touch on in your book and in your work. And it is really beautiful to see it all come together as you and then be able to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for that. Thank You're you so welcome. much for reading the book and actually really getting it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, well, I the think best. there's a part, especially for for women like that, we do intuitive, intuitively know that there's so much more to what's happening than just like uh, the diet. Like right. it, there's just so much more that contributes to what's happening in our bodies and what we see in the mirror and how we're feeling. And so a book like this is really kind of comforting and mm. like affirming a lot of our intuitive hits and really makes it clear and digestible. And now we're kind of able to navigate it more peacefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because uh, it's complex. Yeah. So how I came up with the archetypes is really through working with over 3,000 women at the time. And I've worked with significantly more since then. And I just saw these struggles. So my background is in nutrition and functional medicine, but it always had a psychology piece running through it. This is where I studied. It was originally created by a psychologist. So that was you know in my field and looking at it. But I noticed that these very smart women were just struggling. And, and when I was making these suggestions to pull out something with food, there was this like gasp. Oh my God, I, you know, here's my comfort here. And, and we can get into the archetypes more, but like my Wonder Woman, which I am. Me too. Yeah, I had a feeling you were. Yeah. I don't know what Lindsay is. Um, <laughs> Actually, I was looking, I was wondering what Lindsay was too, because I was like, hmm, I have thoughts, but I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> and like Wonder Woman's habit is 
does she justify everything? Everything she does, she can justify. She's got a really smart brain. But like taking, it taking. Should, it should be illegal. Talk to her boyfriend. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> yeah. Like taking that glass of wine out or even the dark chocolate. It's like, oh my, no. What, what do you mean? Why do I have to check out the dark chocolate? The dark chocolate is only 160 calories. I'm only eating half the bar. That glass of wine that's got polyphenols in it. You know, it's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like embracing my body is eating what I want and like really just owning yes. it. <laughs> Everything in moderation. Like yes. that's moderation for me. Yeah. And and so it was like, well, why are you so attached to it? Like, let's let's have a look at that. And to be fair, I was too at some point in my life. So I had to go through this personally of like nine months of nighttime eating that I felt was beyond my own physical control. It felt really visceral. Part of it was physical. Part of it was dealing with a little bit of a candida issue. But it was mainly a sense of loneliness that I was completely unwilling to admit. So I had come out of my marriage. I was like 31. I left my ex-husband and moved to New York and was then had immediately gone into a relationship for five years. It was a horrible relationship, but mm. in it, you know what you're like. You're like, I'm determined to make this one work since that one didn't totally. work. And, and I realized I didn't want to be with that person. And here I was like 36. You go, wow, I'm single. I haven't been single since I was like 25. Like, whoa, wow. And, and didn't realize that the reason I was creating these chocolate cacao truffles was because I was missing this level of intimacy that I was so used to having and and no one had said it to me. Wow. And and I just was driven towards that. But beneath it all was something so much deeper than that. Mm. And that was that like I was truly missing a sense of self-love. And if somebody had said, Donnie, I'm missing self-love, I'm like, yeah, right. What are you oh, talking yeah. about? I'm so good at self-care. I take time out for myself. I put my boundaries up. Like, like, check, check, check. I do it all. But this true sense of nurturing and nourishment was just missing. And there was also a little bit of a fractured relationship with my mother. It wasn't as as nourishing and as, as I had hoped it would be. For a lot and of I would people, say that's that mm-hmm. that's it, right? It's, yeah. that, it's that relationship with their mother. And it just feeds. If, like if you feel like I can't fulfill anything, I want this food and I eat it and I can't get enough, highly likely there's some mother relationship that's a little disrupted. Wow. wow. <laughs> <That's very laughs> we just went true. straight into <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get into that. But it, just like thinking right now about it, it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, we we are born and we are, for nine months, we are feeding off of our mm-hmm. mother's body and what they are nourishing themselves with and us with. And then we come out and we are literally cut away from her, but then we're still like feeding on her. And then like the the whole spiritual relationship with your mom can like, it has to be, not has to be, but if it's not strong, I can imagine like that when you are pulled away and you're not breastfeeding anymore, like there is this sense of just like malnourishment of like mm-hmm. spirit and literally, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll I wonder too, so what is your, like with that, you know, so me speaking from me, my experience of having the mother issue and, and doing that exact thing, which is the, you know, binging, overeating, like eating for comfort. Is it that I have like internally, I don't have a sense of safety or security or enoughness or what is that? Like, I guess it's different for everyone, but what would that, what are some things that would drive someone to do that if they have the mother thing? Well, it could be all of those. Yeah. And um, most of the time, women do not necessarily feel a, a deep sense of safety. It doesn't need to be physical safety, but it's really emotional safety. So we don't always feel 
emotionally safe in a relationship. If we hold back in a relationship where we're constantly trying to tweak ourselves to what we think that person needs, we're not feeling emotionally safe with that person. And where did that originate from? Did that originate from childhood or the attachment that Lindsay, or lack of attachment or detachment that Lindsay was talking about? Did it happen sometime later in life? Like something's happened. And, and we cannot feel that sense of safety. Now, the sense of not feeling enough, we all have it. Every single one of us uh, feels that we are not enough at some point and we have established our self-worth based on an external factor. And those four factors typically are success and achievement, which feeds into my Wonder Woman, our physical body, which creates the femme fatale archetype, people-pleasing and being there for others and never wanting to disappoint anyone else. And that's the nurture archetype. And then it's being different and unique and spiritual. And that would be my ethereal archetype. So this sense of self is developed out of a wound. It's developed because it's not enough. Like the femme fatale, which is the one that bases her self-worth on her physical body, is not that she received accolades as a child saying, oh my goodness, you're such a pretty girl. And like, you know, look at you and lots of attention. It's more that she didn't feel pretty. Maybe the sister was prettier. Maybe she went to high school and everybody else had better clothes than her and she just felt not enough. And so therefore to catch up, it was that was her coping strategy. Or say the Wonder Woman, which is about success and achievement. It can be the father who's really encouraging her to excel. It can be the mother too. So, you know, that father-daughter relationship. And so one day she comes home and um, you know, she's got like an A minus or something. And, and it's like, I know you could have done better. And so that feels like, oh my God, I disappointed my father. I feel such a sense of shame. And then boom, you create this personality, which is like, I need to be the best, I need to be the best, I need to be the best. So while it's wonderful to, to have this sense of self-worth when you're successful or when you look pretty, um, and we don't want to take that away, it's, there's a flip to it. You're really vulnerable when it's not there. And so it's truly understanding, well, where did that develop? And why? Because it's an untruth. It's often something very simple that's happened in childhood. It's a flippant comment or just some misinterpretations because as as a young child between really until the age of 21, your prefrontal cortex, which is where your rational thought takes place, isn't fully developed. So we're always viewing it through the lens of an emotional response. And it's like, I say children are little narcissists. It's all about them. And so if a parent does something, it's like me, like I've done something wrong. And so it's just that coping strategy to, to... to be enough. And as adults, we want to start to look at that to go, oh, wow, that was flawed, right? I, I truly am enough. And, and how, do I, how do I rewind that? How do I sort of reprogram what happened in my childhood so I have this greatest, strength, greatest sense of strength to just be who I am so I don't need to overdo anything so I'm not working these sort of your know, 12 to 13, 14 hour days and skipping lunch. So I'm not getting into relationships where I'm the codependent and being like the doormat there. So I'm not obsessively fixated on food and calories and keto and so forth. Cause I'm trying to, cause I'm thinking that I need to be this certain size to be, to be enough or that I need to be the most spiritual, amazing, unique, creative person out there on the planet. So that's sort of where we end up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The reprogramming is interesting. It's, and we've, we've talked a lot about it and done um, a lot of that work. So I'm, I'm kind of wondering if the, the way in which we eat is also a way in which we can reprogram, like the, the right, not the right way, but the more 
aligned way mm-hmm. to eat is helpful in reprogramming and how yes. what does that look like? Yes, it's the food is at the base. That's the way that I look at it. So if your food's off, let's just say that you are, you're skipping meals all the time, then your blood sugar levels are going to be destabilized. You're going to feel more anxious. You're going to feel more jittery. Your adrenaline and noradrenaline is going to be more supercharged. So to think that you can make really clear, rational decisions, it's it's a little hampered by that. And if we don't watch what we're eating, then it will change the hormones in the body as well as the lifestyle. And those hormones, whether they're insulin or cortisol or our sex hormones like progesterone or estrogen, have really far-reaching effects on the body. And the way that I work with women is really looking at body fat. Most That's what I specialize in is complicated uh, weight loss, and adrenal and thyroid issues and digestive issues. And when I do a scan of a woman's body, I'm saying, where are you storing body fat? It's not so much about their body shape that they're genetically being given, but it's like, where do you store it? Because that will give me an indication of what the dominant hormone is. Mm. So most of us know that cortisol, you'll store body, you'll store body fat on your abdominal area. So if that's one of your chief complaints, then you know that cortisol's really cortisol and stress is your thing. And and you need to not only eat in a way that doesn't exacerbate those cortisol levels and adrenaline and noradrenaline levels by eating on a very regular basis. So like intermittent fasting would be contraindicated if that was the case with you. Contraindicated, um, so like you shouldn't do it. Yeah, okay. yeah. And 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 so for for if you tend to store body fat on your upper thighs, then I would say that there's a little bit of an estrogen issue there, whether it's a clearance issue, and you can mm. alter that with food. So that would be cruciferous vegetables, which are uh, the key component in that is dim, and it helps to metabolize estrogen to a weaker form. But you could also be storing a little bit more fat on the upper thighs because you're a Wonder Woman and you're really stressed and you're eating up your progesterone because cortisol and progesterone share the same raw material and the body's always going to prioritize stress and cortisol over progesterone. So you can sort of start to store it that way. So by looking at a woman's body, and I want women to really understand it too so they know what hormones are actually looking at because it's pretty subtle. Like somebody can be carrying, they don't, you don't need to be carrying a lot of body fat. Like I can, like I can read you at five pounds extra to see what, to see what's actually going on. And it's helpful for you to know, gives you an insight into, wow, it's my lifestyle. It's my thoughts and it's my food behaviors. And what can I do to really correct all of that? What's the, the one, there's one of the types is over. So we talked about the cortisol, Wonder Woman, belly fat. The um, upper thighs is tends to be the nurturer, the nurturer, yeah. and then the overall gaining weight overall. That's is, a nurturer too, and okay. so the nurturer that'll typically be the first response, and that's because the nurturer is so depleted that she ends up comfort eating, and that comfort eating is really rich in carbohydrates. It could be a macrobiotic bowl; it doesn't need to be well, like a bag of chips or something, right? And that stimulates insulin and insulin tells the body to store body fat everywhere. It doesn't have a particular place. Mm. So if you are storing body fat everywhere, then you know for you, you're really sensitive to carbohydrates. And so a reduced carbohydrate plan is the one for you. And that's the type of plan that I've created for the nurturer in in the the book. Um, But not everybody needs to follow such a low carbohydrate based plan. So for the other archetypes, they actually don't. 
because they're not as sensitive to carbohydrates as mm. as the nurturer. So when we eat carbohydrates, the body converts that to glucose and it's either going to go down two pathways. It's going to go to energy, including stored energy, which is glycogen, or it's going to go to body fat. And when the glucose and insulin is dysregulated, you are going to shoot it down to body fat and not to energy. And so then the nurturer feels tired and overweight. But if that pathway isn't impaired, then you can eat those carbohydrates and it's going to go to glycogen and energy. And so it'll support the energy levels and won't go into body fat. So that's why not everybody needs to be on these very restrictive, and they are restrictive, like the ketogenic diet is a really restrictive uh, low carbohydrate diet. It's like 5%, including all your vegetables. So it isn't necessary to follow these plans to actually see success. Mm. And really my food philosophy is you want to be able to eat the most amount of food and the most variety while still seeing success. When it comes to activity and nutrition, so I'm wondering what types of activity could be exacerbating either holding on to the fat in the body, could be exacerbating even the eating habits too for different types. Could so you speak to many that? factors. I know. So, so yeah. <laughs> um, so here's my weight loss equation. It's food plus exercise plus inflammation plus the gut microbiome plus the hormones, plus unexpressed emotions. Mm -hmm. So anything that influences that pathway will have the ability to increase or decrease body fat. What I see, I see five pounds drop off immediately when somebody starts to express an emotion that they have held in their body for a decade plus, something like that. Um, and it doesn't matter whether that person is 200 pounds or 130 pounds. It just drops by five pounds. And when you see it repetitively and over and over again, you realize that something's going on. And I was very early into my practice when I first saw this. I had a woman come in and she was like 55 or something and she was getting married for the first time. And... She wanted to lose, wanted to lose a little bit of weight for the for her wedding, and she'd lost some weight, lost some weight, and then she just like plateaued for four weeks. And I'm fairly new in my practice, I'm like, oh my god, I don't like this, and <laughs> and I didn't want to put her on something that I would push through today and sort of just force the the fat loss. And um, she came back at the six week mark, and then she just lost five pounds, and she'd had a dream, and in that dream, she said to herself, "It's okay for you to take your fat suit off." And she'd associated being skinny with when she went through chemotherapy because she had breast cancer. Mm. And she was an oncologist. And there was so much shame around having breast cancer, being an oncologist. So every day she's confronted with this. There was so much shame she wouldn't even put it on an intake form that she had actually had breast cancer. So she needed to create this sense of safety and to say that it was okay to to go there and to let go of that shame. And then boom, it came off. That was my very first insight that, whoa, there is something beyond just the chemical and physical component of fat loss. And then I've just seen it. It's just I can't, I, so, so often. And if we think about it with ourselves, there's probably some point in our life where we've been so distraught. It could have been a breakup or something like that. And boom, five pounds is off. <laughs> and, and, 
how did how did that happen like within a day because it's it's way beyond the chemical piece of it there's a huge emotional uh, piece to this year mm-hmm. so you know that was a sidetrack but that's i want to point out that one because it's just one that we don't measure um intuitively we know that that's the case but but it's not really spoken about because it feels not tangible wow. um but there are lots when you say activity when you said activity to me originally i was thinking exercise um and there's all different forms of exercise for the different archetypes. So for the nurturer archetype, which is really insulin insensitive, and so that's just a reminder that you tend to carry body fat everywhere and maybe a little bit on the upper thighs, you might not do you might not do well with some high intensity interval training or like going to a spin class because you will can get really hungry after you exercise. And that's because your body's burning glycogen, burning energy and not burning body fat. So that's, we don't want that. If you're like really hungry after exercise, that's not normal, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, unless of course you're running for two hours or something like that, but, you know, an hour, 45 to an hour's exercise class, like you shouldn't be like so hungry that you're just going to go and shove something in your mouth, but you're burning glycogen. And so I don't have them do that type of exercise. I scale it back. Or if they really want to do it, it's like decrease the intensity of it. Maybe it's going into some some weight training or or some some other forms of exercise that just aren't increasing the um, the heart rate so much. And then as the body becomes more balanced, you can go into that type of training. For my Wonder Woman archetype, she's really good with this intense training because she's got so much cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline to burn it off. So a boxing class for her is really wonderful. Until she's so depleted that she wakes up in the morning and she's like, I cannot get out of bed. Then that's the worst thing for her because she, her reserves of cortisol and adrenaline are really low. And so therefore, restorative yoga, which she will not like doing because it's not fast enough and busy enough, is the way to recover. And I'm seeing this more and more in my practice that I have to scale back on women's exercise because their diets are super clean and they're tr- and they're really pushing the exercise, and there's no fat loss because the body is calibrating to this really quite significant caloric deficit, and it's downregulating the me- metabolic response. And so we have to get them to slow down the exercise, which is really difficult to take in, and add more carbohydrates. So completely going against what the current philosophy on fat loss is. But then they lose it. Wow. So you. S- it's about the slowing down for this particular archetype. Mm-hmm. It's about the slowing down and the increase of carbohydrates. Why the increase of carbohydrates? So if they're being on a really low caloric uh, plan, uh-huh. it's like a really clean diet and they're, and they're really pushing the intensity on the exercise. And that's not necessarily the, the Wonder Woman. It could be any of the archetypes. It would more likely be the femme fatale. So they're maybe following, say, some type of, your paleo type of diet. So there's no carbohydrates coming in. It's hovering around a thousand calories. Uh, so I'll give you an example of a client of mine. So she was hovering around a thousand calories. Her basal metabolic rate a was day? a day. Oh. So it's a low plan. Per meal? Per meal, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's light. It's like, you know, it's not what I would have around. It's, it's too it's too light. And wow. um, her metabolic rate is was uh, you know, it is fifteen hundred calories. So already she's got a five hundred calorie deficit there. And then she doubled the exercise. Whoa. And so she gained two and a half pounds in a month. And it was like, whoa, no, like this is just not what you do, right? You Like if you want to eat a thousand calories and your basal metabolic rate is 1,500, that's what you do. 
you don't exercise. If you want to exercise to that intensity, you better start bumping up those calories to 2,000. Right? So, that, so that you have a, a small deficit, but enough to stimulate the fat loss, but not this massive deficit. So, Because we're taught, like we're, we're taught, taught that like there should be a deficit so that we lose weight. Yes. And that's true that you do need to be a deficit, but not too much. And so it's like a bell curve. Like the, for the vast majority of the population, the information that's out there is absolutely accurate. But for those overachievers <laughs> and, and so many women in the wellness space, and, and actually way beyond that, I just, I think of my New Yorkers and my girls out here in LA, like that you, you take it on with like vigor that this is what you're going to do. And you're quite proud of your, 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 you know, your clean diet and the exercise that you're doing. You're at this other, other end point where you really got to watch what you're doing. As in, you got to watch that you are not overly restricting and that you are not overly exercise in the game of wellness. And so if you are not losing on those plans, the goal is not to keep doing that and keep smaller, 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 because that's the fear, right? I'm not losing, I'm not losing. So therefore I need to do, do this extra amount. If that doesn't work for you, do the opposite. Come off the exercise. You know, go and eat a macrobiotic bowl. Go and eat a bowl of pasta. Just watch because the weight will drop. <laughs> you know, but it's at that very small subset, right? Just, just like at the other end of the, the scale, if let's say you're at 250 pounds and your metabolic rate is like a thousand, at that, at that weight, you're probably a thousand, eight hundred. You should be eating three and a half thousand calories and you're probably not going to gain. Right? There's just a, there's wow. a, an mm-hmm. alteration that happens. And this is why eating disorder, um, people, people have from an eating disorder background, they're really making them eat like 3,000 calories when they're in treatment. And so then when they come out, they have to actually eat 3,000 calories to actually be able to sustain their weight. And and this is really a real mind shift for them. And so when you start to understand these extremes, you you realize that, 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 again, it's just so much more complex than what this sort of middle tier, cut down the carbohydrates, like like exercise and everything should be fine. And obviously it works. Obviously that works, but but I'm really talking about complicated cases. Yeah. Yeah. What's so? What is metab? Like, what is the role in, of metabolism with hormones? Like, how do they work together? Yes. So they're really part of it. So like when we think of metabolism, we really think of the the thyroid, and that would be thyroxine and something called T3, and what happens is you can slow your metabolism down by slowing your thyroid function down. So when do you under-eat or over-exercise or the body's inflamed or there's excess cortisol, your body no longer uh, converts thyroxine, the thyroid hormone, into T3, which is the active thyroid hormone. It shoots it off to something called reverse T3 and it's a block. And reverse T3 is there. You don't get the T3, but it also stops like jazz, like the, in front of the door that your body can then not, not, can no longer listen to the, the T3 that it needs. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a, that's an issue. Um, you could reverse that. So it's not as though that that's permanent and hence why when people have been on those low caloric plans where they just go and eat a bowl of pasta and some other things, you can reverse it like that. The body's very smart. People just need to know that it will autocorrect if you're actually kind to it. Mm. And, 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 you know, in that case, that particular client, she was starving. Of course she would be yes. because her body was telling her she just needed to eat. Right. So, you know, that's when I think of metabolism, I'm more thinking of the, the thyroid hormones there. Mm-hmm. But then you have insulin and 
you know, insulin is not so much about the metabolism, whether you're burning, um, whether you're creating energy, but it's the body's primary fat storage hormone. Like that's, that's the number one. It tells you to put your fat into your fat cells. It also tells the body to put amino acids into the muscles. So that's how we create muscles. It also tells the brain to move uh, tryptophan into, uh, it shuttles tryptophan into the brain so we can create serotonin. So it's not bad. It just, it's just, we don't want an excessive amount of it. Then we have sex hormones. So we have progesterone, estrogen, testosterone. Mm -hmm. So they're all having an influence on our ability to be able to burn and lose body fat in a way that's not that metabolic piece. So estrogen in itself, well, estrogen's a luscious hormone. Like we want it. Like it is, it keeps us youthful. Like I can see that you've got a nice level Mm -hmm. of estrogen. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it's really, it's this, it's, it's, Sexy, right? It's yeah, that's I'm what sexy. it is. It's, yeah, you are, right? Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. this, it exudes it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then when it runs haywire, like it's you are, uh, you have crazy thoughts, like as um, that too. Uh, yeah, you, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little, yeah, a, a little bit more uh, erratic than you otherwise would be if the estrogen levels were mm-hmm. were more stable. You you it, you put yourself at risk for fibroids, endometriosis, all of the estrogen dominant cancers, breast um, cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, yeah, breast cancer principally, yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we want it to be, we want it to really be balanced there. And then you have progesterone and progesterone is like the chilled out hormone. It's wonderful and calming, but when you don't have enough, you feel anxious and erratic and you're super hungry. So women who before their menstrual cycle are like, oh my God, I just need to eat everything. That's when progesterone is at a higher level, but for these women, it's not high enough. So that's why they're experiencing all of these PMS type of symptoms. Why is that the case? Probably because they're under stress. So we shouldn't be experiencing really any symptoms of PMS. Very muted. Yeah. So very, very muted. So I used to have horrible PMS. I would, this is in my 20s, I would lie on the sofa and like pray that I wouldn't get my period during the week because I wasn't going to call at work to say, I'm sorry, I have my period. I'm not turning up. Like that's mm-hmm. my Wonder Woman. Oh my God, I can't be like a woman. All right, I, I, have, yeah, to, I have to be like, a man. They're going to know I have a period. Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, um, and for whatever reason, I never got it during the week. I never got it like on the, during the week. Really? But I, but I would be like, an agony. And then I had horrible breakouts. I mean, just, it's a mess. And, um, and today, I, like nothing, like can't, yeah, can't I even really be a big tell. Old like I would cry or, or I would just mm. like have, be emotional. Yeah. And now nothing, like it'll happen. I'm like, oh, I think it's happening mm-hmm. and it will be like, that is that, that, that to me is, is actually fascinating to think mm-hmm. about you know, the cramping and the emotions and kind of like the roller coaster that you go on or, you know, most people go on through PMS that I also went on that now that I focused on my hormones and like my health from a more holistic perspective and changed things in my life. It's like been such a beautiful experience Mm -hmm. Yes, with my, you know, with my period. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. It's happening. I'm thankful it's happening. Mm -hmm. And that probably has something to do with it too. Actually, that's probably a lot of it, to be honest is now when my period comes, I'm thankful, I'm happy, I'm welcoming. But before it was like, oh God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? It was like, I was so mad. I was like annoyed. It was an inconvenience, da, 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 da. But now it's like a beautiful thing that 
I've made peace with. So I probably have a better response with that. Yeah, it's the flow of life. Um, and so, I mean, people might be thinking, well, how did you change it? So really for me, it was a huge dietary shift. I mean, I was overeating protein because during that time I was following the Atkins diet. So oh, eating wow. excess, yeah, eating excess animal protein, having those horrible protein bars. And it was just, it was horrible, just awful on my system. Like how many grams a day were you eating? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. You know, not, not an excessive amount, but enough to, to, to be far too much. Mm-hmm. So I might've been eating at a sitting eight ounces, somewhere between six and eight ounces, which is pretty easy to do, but it was just, just too much. Like I ate four today and I'm, I'm five foot four, just to give people a, a little bit of a mm-hmm. range there. So it, it was, it was uh, changing the diet was a crucial piece of it. Plus really working with the gut microbiome. Yeah. Can you talk Major to us about differences that? Yeah. Your and the, you're a treasure trove of information. <laughs> truly. Truly. And, the, and, the, and then one more for, for people who are actually experiencing some of these issues. I love Vitex, which is a chase tree berry. It's a same, it's a herb, a mm-hmm. Chinese herb. And what it does is it makes the body more sensitive to your own progesterone. Oh. And I was under a lot of stress this year because I uh, um, had my, my book came out and I just sort of traveled between New York and LA and I was, uh, you know, a book, writing a book is, takes a lot out of you. And if you fight with your publisher, which is what I was doing <laughs> continually. Um, and and, I, yeah. and, um, and um, uh, it, probably, what was it, maybe about three months ago, since my 20s, right? I hadn't had any issues with my cycle and all of a sudden I had intermittent bleeding. I never experienced that in my life. And so I knew what that was about. I knew it was like low progesterone. And I'd gone to my OBGYN here in LA and she's holistic and wonderful. And she's like, well, I can give you some bioidentical progesterone. I was like, yeah, that'll be great. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to do this because I know I can do it myself. What had happened is my chase tree berry sits on my desk. We'd run out of stock and I just hadn't refilled it. And so for two months, I didn't have it. And so I was like, hey, Donna, just do what you know best and like put it, put it back in and completely synced it back in to wow. my regular cycle. Yeah. I know these, these, these little tips are like just knowing about yeah. this herb. I, I think yes. it's, just, it's such a wonderful herb. Sorry, Lindsay, you were asking me something. No, um, no that was great. Uh, the microbiome. Oh yeah, the gut microbiome. I mean, it's, it's the basis of functional medicine. Like functional medicine and naturopathic medicine will always will say that everything starts in the gut. And we'll say that everything from a physical perspective has its, has its roots in the gut. And um, it's so easy for that to get out of balance um, from thoughts to the way that we eat. Um, and... In my practice, 70% of the women that I work with have an overgrowth of candida. I know other practitioners, other functional medicine practitioners will say it's 85. And candida is naturally resident in the gut microbiome. It's supposedly there that when we die, it helps to decompose the body. Wow. Yeah. So yes, and let's think about Sexy. that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Truly. So, making you decompose. So when it's out of balance, so it morphs into nine different shapes and those nine different shapes are toxic. So they produce these little toxins and it will start putting little holes into the small intestine and then you end up with what's called leaky gut. And then if you end up with leaky gut, you end up with food sensitivities and then you end up with potential autoimmune issues and then you have Hashimoto's and then it's a whole host of things. So so just this little yeast here that got out of control because you had a 
period in your life where you took antibiotics or you binged on sugar for a while or you're under an extreme amount of stress or you took the contraceptive pill. I mean, this is why so many women have this overgrowth of candida, but it's reversible, which is good. And it's not difficult and you don't need to go on this strict anti-candida diet where you pull out all of the yeast and, and all the carbohydrates. It just sort of doesn't work that way. You actually just need to use a good product that will get in there and attack the cell wall of the yeast so that it, it actually dies. And then just... Be aware that when you're under stress, it can easily come back. What kind of product? Mm -hmm. A product that I work with is a proteolytic enzyme and I like a company called uh, Enzyme Science Mm -hmm. and they have a product called Candida Control and I find it really effective at getting rid of candida. And I mean, my clients are great. They'll be like, I went off the candida Mm, about six months ago and I've been a bit stressed and my sugar cravings have come back and I just felt better on it. So I'm going to go back on it for a month. <laughs> do they have to get, um, do you have to get tested for candida or can you just go on it? You can just assuming. go on it, right? Okay. If it's if, if it's not going to do that, then it can actually eat away at some scar tissue. So, okay. so it's, yeah. Cool. Um, um, I have some clients who are, who are very fragile and sensitive. And so sometimes they can feel a little nauseous if they take it, but it's the very sensitive uh, client that's like, it is not for the for the vast majority if the population is fine. Mm. This is a random question so that I wanted to confirm with you. So tryptophan turns into serotonin, right? Yes. So we had someone on the podcast yesterday that went, had, was depressed and she went through amino acid therapy. So I'm assuming, and that really helped. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that it's the, it provides you a tryptophan, which turns into serotonin, which helps. Yes. So amino acid therapy is wonderful. Yeah. And um, you can actually test your neurotransmitter levels to find out where they are and then use amino acids to support the creation of those neurotransmitters. You can also use it for a drug model if that's what you want. You know, sometimes I'm working with people's psychiatrists to find the right uh, um, medication for them. I work with the amino acids. So you can use tryptophan to support the production of serotonin or you can use 5-HTP. 5-HTP is closer. So it goes 5-HTP and then another metabolite and then to serotonin. So if you take 5-HTP, it's going to go to serotonin. If you take tryptophan, it's not always going to go to serotonin because tryptophan has many different functions in the body, including the creation of the mitochondria. If you don't have enough tryptophan, you're not going to have cell renewal. So I would use 5-HTP for like somebody who's feeling a little blah and low or they can't sleep or PMS irritability, like I, I use that. I love 5 HTB. It's something I've been using for the, that's the 12 years I've been in practice for. And then I'll use tryptophan if somebody has chronic fatigue. I'll use a combination of that there. So someone where we need to help to restore the mitochondria. Wow. And do you ingest that orally? Or? You do. Okay. okay. Yeah. You guys get the, at the store, right? 5-HTB? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've heard that people, when they smoke weed, they take it. I wonder why. Weed, really? Yeah. Just to be like, not stay in your system? No. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I think, no, I think there's something that what it has to do in the brain, it enhances that. Hmm. I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't really smoke weed. So. <laughs> <laughs> my, my boyfriend has a weed company. I'm going to have to ask him. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. What kind of weed company? Um, it's called Bebo. 
And oh, so, I love so Bebo. you love Bebo? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The pens yeah. are the pens. chic as hell. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I I'll, I'll ask him. But I no, just so what's this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, no, 5 HTP was, you know, if we're talking about the sort of that, that recreational drug side of things, it was used when people would have MDMA or ecstasy because oh. that would bring so much serotonin to the front of the brain that if you depleted and, you know, it was nicknamed like Suicide Tuesday after a weekend. And so mm. that would help to actually, that would help, help to actually restore the serotonin levels in the brain. You know, the only caveat I have on 5-HTP is if you're on an SSRI, if you're on an antidepressant, then certainly, certainly talk to your psychiatrist or somebody that's prescribing because I don't want to make you overdo that. And uh, yeah, so that's, I'll just give that as a caveat. Yeah. Okay. We've we've spent a decent amount of time on the nurturer and Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. yeah. and and so the ethereal and the femme fatale. Yes, I'd love to kind of t- talk a little bit of more uh, more about those types. So, where should we start with the femme fatale? Because I still don't know what I am. To be completely honest, I know, I'm, I'm going between about. the nurturer and the nurturer feels just like the way I am, but then. A few things don't make sense, so I'm just. Mm-hmm. I, we can probably identify it. Okay, so I'm thinking m- it, it, it's it's not you're not the femme fatale and you're not the ethereal. So it'll be a it'll be a cross between the nurturer and and the one woman. Yeah, um, which feels. Accurate. I feel like so, you're femme fatale in some ways. Mm, yeah. I, well, yeah. I well, want to learn. What we'll, we'll come to that? I don't get that from her, mm. and that's not my first. Hey, piece. you wrote the book. <laughs> yeah, that's not my first piece. Really, um, I, um, I, get, I get more femme fatale from you, okay. which also could be that you know okay, that fun boobs. sort of uh, the estrogen piece mm-hmm. coming through. So the the femme fatale when she's balanced is like super luscious and sparkly, and she's like the goddess. I'm not saying that you weren't. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I know what actually, you mean, though. she's very she's quite rare to be balanced. Who do I know? I know I know one woman who's a femme fatale that's really balanced. Mm. And I, when I think of the femme fatale in balance, and actually I wrote about her in my book, that's her. Yeah. And she's so magnetic and and goddess. Like you, you just want to be. I'm thinking of a femme fatale. And and. Oh yeah, that's a, a little one. bit. Yeah. yeah. So okay. so you'll know you'll know, know yeah. what I'm talking about. Okay. And just strong in her own feminine sexuality. When she's out of balance, it is completely the opposite. So they couldn't be more polar opposite. And she's riddled with self-doubt, feels so unattractive, will often not go out to social events because she feels ugly. And then she's at home and she will end up binge eating because she didn't go out and she actually needs the connection to feel good. It's this constant obsession with the way that she she looks. There are lots of misperceptions one client who's a femme fatale and and I mean she's of course she's you know she's really really beautiful. Just doesn't see it. Oh they, they can't see it. They can't actually see how beautiful they are, which is just for me devastating. Like looking at them I really suffer with this because they suffer when they're out of balance. Oh. And she recalls this incident incident where she was at a bar slash um, restaurant and had crawled underneath the table to get to some somewhere else because you know, it was probably a table of 18 or something. And she feels like she heard this guy say, what a dog. And she was like devastated that that was about her. And it's a crowd, you can imagine, it's a crowdy, busy restaurant, right? And he may have just said that about her because she was crawling under the table, right? Rather than she's a dog because she's ugly and unattractive. But that's the thought. And so everything is just misperceived and it's hard to live like that. And then this need to be 
the best, the most beautiful, and you walk into a party and you're not the most beautiful and you can't accept that. It sounds narcissistic a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not because it's so wounded, mm. but a lot of emotional manipulation, very resourceful, and they are determined to get their way. Mm. And the nurturers need to be very careful of the femme fatales, mm. particularly when it works in the opposite sex. Because the nurturers are often so depleted with compliments and they feel not so good about themselves that the femme fatale can come in and lavish compliments on them. And so they're willing to do anything for the femme fatale. Yeah. So it's really, really, really interesting. I mean, I haven't painted a great picture of the femme fatale. That's the femme fatale out of balance. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But in balance, it's just like you just want to be around her. Like so, so much fun and, and, and sparkly that people know if they're a femme fatale. They, they know, they know where they fall because mm-hmm. they know where they can get to sometimes in the negative or certainly if they've, if they've moved beyond that, they know that they had a history of doing that. Do they, what's their, like, where do they gain weight or like what's their eating? It, it, like, what's that um, like? Where they gain weight is very dependent on how they actually eat. So if they're restricting, then they can look more like the ethereal who is naturally lean. And um, if they are overeating, they can look a little bit more like the nurturer where they're sort of carrying the body fat everywhere. But they're, that it's more that they have this fixation with food and there's, there's just more shame around it until they're balanced. You know, when they're balanced, they are very fun and playful with food. I mean, as don't know what that's like. <laughs> as women, we can really learn from the po- the positive aspect of the femme fatale. So the way the Wonder Woman softens is by embodying that very sparkly, sensual side of the femme fatale. And again, the same with the nurturer. It's like being okay to be in your physical body. So I all learn from the archetypes, and we all have the four archetypes within us. We just have a dominant one and there's one that's normally pretty dead. And that's the one for us to really work on to truly bring us into balance. Ooh. Oh, okay. So, so ethereal is probably dead in me. It, it, it can be. Yeah. It'll, it's if with the wonder woman and the nurture, it'll either be the femme fatale or the, or the ethereal. So the ethereal is, uh, she feels really light and airy. You, you know, the girls, like you've met, You've interviewed Lacey Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lacey's a classic ethereal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you can just yes. feel them, right? <laughs> interesting. Um, and and um, they are very dreamy and creative and imaginative. There's a little bit of vulnerability and fragility to them. And you sort of just want to take care of them, um, which makes them really attractive. Uh, a lot of models are, are ethereals. They're not actually femme fatales because they emit this lightness, which is just transposed onto, onto a photograph. Wow. The ethereals in the negative are scattered. They can't always get it together. There's so many thoughts going in their head. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and then nothing ever happens. So it's from just purely from a lifestyle perspective, one of the things that they can struggle with is to be able to, to, to put all of their wonderful ideas into place in a way that makes it financially profitable for them. So they can work really well with a Wonder Woman who's excellent at that. That's a really good partner for, the, for them. Um, and what they tend to struggle with is, is anxiety and depression and um, gut microbiome issues more than weight. Weight's not really their issue where they tend to have lower levels of estrogen, the fat cells produce estrogen. So the more body fat you have on you, the more estrogen you have in your body. The less body fat you have on you, the less estrogen you have in your body. It's a very general guideline. Um, and 
estrogen is an accelerator to serotonin. So when you don't have enough estrogen in the body, then you are going to feel more depressed. So when women go through uh, perimenopause, part of the reason why their moods are so erratic because both their progesterone and estrogen levels have actually dropped. So for the ethereal, she, she needs to be eating in a way that is much richer in carbohydrates because what do carbs do? Carbohydrates produce insulin and the higher the level of insulin, the higher the estrogen the way that it works. So all the hormones have carrier uh, molecules. And when the insulin is um, elevated, then you the carrier molecules decrease. So you have more free available estrogen in this case, which is why the nurturer needs to do the opposite. So she needs to be, the worst thing she can do is go and be on a paleo diet or something like that. Um, she needs to be eating overnight soaked oats for breakfast and having these sober noodle bowls um, much more of a macrobiotic diet would be the would be better suited to her because of what's going on with her from particularly from a mental perspective. And it's like a grounding thing, very too. grounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she would be the equivalent of the vata from yeah. uh, from an Ayurvedic perspective. Yeah. So they have there is some crossover with the doshas, yeah. not fully at at all. I think someone was. I don't get the doshas. I'll be real. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, yes. It changes yeah. too much. Yes. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like yeah. Too much. Changing. Exactly. Like what is it? And, and I'm like, like yeah, yeah. I just, I know I'm a, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, I agree. But sometimes you're the say in this, and sometimes you're acting as if you're in this. <laughs> like, I'm like, what is it? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Tell me what I am so I can like be there. <laughs> literally. I wanted to talk about like our subconscious. Mm, yes. So the subconscious role in two, you know, in two things. So your, your subconscious role in your body image and how you see yourself. And then the decisions you make. Mm-hmm. So like, could we talk about both of those? Yes. Let's see if we can. Uh, it's such a vast topic. Let me think about, let's use Wonder Woman as an example. Mm-hmm. So and less about the body piece mm-hmm. because the subconscious is what drives our automatic behaviors. So a very easy one is as Wonder Woman prioritizes her work, it's her work over her her sense of self or her health because mm-hmm. she often conflates the two so that she thinks her work is her and that's not the case it's just a part of her I don't know anyone that's like that <laughs> yeah, I, have no idea. Um, I don't work with anyone and, like that <laughs> so <laughs> if, if your subconscious is saying you are valuable because of your success and you are valuable because you are booked in meetings all day then you are not going to necessarily prioritize lunch you might be booked with a meeting from 8 a.m. in the morning and maybe you've booked space for like half an hour lunch, but the meeting runs over and you've got to get to another one. And so you've just completely skipped lunch. That wasn't a conscious choice to do that. Right? But your subconscious saying that you are worthy because you are important because you're in these meetings is more important than you eating food. Mm. And it's that's changing the subconscious and the programming there to say, no, I'm totally worthy of setting an hour for lunch and sticking to that and then going back to my meetings. And that's what I want for all women is have that greater strength of self to know that they are valuable just because of who they are, not because they're successful, not because they're pretty, you know, not because they do things for other people, not because they're the most in- intuitive, spiritual, creative person out there. Like we want all of those wonderful attributes within ourselves, but not 
to the point that we feel critiqued or vulnerable if we do something that moves us away from that because we have to do something for ourselves. So let me think about another one for the 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 nurturer. So and then the nurturer is so easy to see where the where the subconscious like like runs haywire. I give this example in the book, and that is that she knows that a smoothie for breakfast is going to be great for her. Uh, that's on her plan. She's got all the ingredients at home, but then she wakes up in the morning and it's total frigging chaos. Uh, let's say that she's a mother and nurturers aren't always mothers. She's a mother and she's trying to get her kid ready for school and her husband's still sleeping and she's got to get this other kid up and everything's just totally chaotic. She just wants to get out of the frigging door and she's not going to take the time to make herself the smoothie, even though making that smoothie would have would take less time than for her to stop at a coffee store to pick up a a muffin or a bagel or something like that. But it's like, it, she's just not prioritizing herself at that, that, that time. So the subconscious is so insidious. It's so ingrained into these very simple behaviors. And if we can just sort of start to catch ourselves with our food behaviors, we're like, whoa, wow. Yeah, I've just, I just deprioritized myself. I just like self-sacrificed me for that. Um, ethereal gets so caught up in the creative aspect of, of life that she just forgets to eat. And, and that's incre- just incredibly common. Before she knows it's like five o'clock and she's a little delirious because the blood sugar levels are all over the place. I mean, the femme fatale, it's just a really misunderstanding that she's valuable because of the way that she looks. And really what I want the femme fatales to understand and learn from is the ethereal that that it is the energetic body that is what we're actually attracted to you can be the most beautiful girl in the world but people aren't attracted to you because the energetics just aren't right Mm. so as we focus on that more of that etheric body and that comes through really being kind and open and and but at the same time really really strong as it's magnetic Um, and are there specific ways for each archetype that they can manage stress and really come back to their bodies? Or I think it can all be done in the same way. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't apply to specifically to the archetypes. Um, so I probably I could, could probably break it down as to what would be some some better ones if I thought about it. Um, um, so like meditation is such a powerful tool and there's so many different forms of meditation out there. I personally love Kundalini. Kundalini does a lot of breath and that is actually really good for anybody whose nervous system is running on overdrive, which is without a doubt the Wonder Woman and and very much the ethereal. And it's funny because those are the two archetypes that are actually drawn to it. I'm just thinking this through as I, as I say that. Um but I love breath. I find breath actually more powerful than meditation. It's just sort of faster. Mm-hmm. There are different, talking about the different types of meditation, it, when you're using sound, sound will help to facilitate that. So one of my favorite guided meditations right now is one by Alan Watts. And Alan Watts, uh, you guys may know, is a British philosopher. He's mm-hmm. no longer with us. He sort of died in the 1970s. But he, uh, um, a, a very well-known philosopher, and he has this... Uh, 15-minute meditation, which is on YouTube. Somebody's put up there. And it is very soporific. And so I listen to it before I go to bed. And the first four times I listened to it, I didn't. I just fell asleep. 
because the sound of his voice and the music that's playing is just on this tone that naturally changes the brainwave. So it gets you into this very receptive theta state. I listened to it last night. I didn't finish it all. I was asleep before, before it was done. And there's those types of meditation that really use sound to, to very quickly alter the brainwaves. And, you know, we know that. We know that sound does that. That's like every movie producer mm-hmm. out there knows how powerful sound is. And I think sometimes we just forget about that. It's, I look at it as like, what is it that you actually need to do? Like, do you need to release something? Do you need to get clarity? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you need to nourish yourself? And then put it into those categories. It's you checking in to go, how are you actually feeling? And what is the matching tool for that? So if I need to release something, I'm going to be doing breath. I might jump up and down on a mini trampoline. I might go and do some exercise. Like I'm just trying to push off and clear out that adrenaline and noradrenaline that's like in my body. I need to just, I need to do something that moves. So like animals are really smart. Like when they, they attack another animal, they, they like, I think of a dog, like it shakes its body afterwards. Like it's moving. It wants to, it wants to disperse the excess adrenaline and noradrenaline. If you're feeling overwhelmed and this is in all cases, people, people can go towards food. Not everybody uses food as a coping strategy, but they can. If you're feeling overwhelmed, take pen to paper. What's going on? Like, what's causing you to feel overwhelmed? Because you feel overwhelmed when you don't feel like you've got enough coping tools. So, when you put things down on paper, it's so much easier to see the truth. So much easier to see that you can actually cope. And then you can put a strategy in place as opposed to ruminating, which just doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. You might need to nourish yourself. And if you need to nourish yourself, maybe it's taking a bath, maybe it's taking a walk along the beach, maybe it's calling a girlfriend. Like, there are all of those wonderful self care practices that we're more familiar with. Maybe you need to get grounded. Maybe you're like all up in the air and everything just feels really scattered. Well, cooking a meal is one of the most grounding things that you can do. You can go for a walk in the park, or pick up some crystals and sometimes rocks. Like rocks actually work really well for ethereals. So tons of stress-reducing practices. At the root of it though, you've got to go into how, why did you create your sense of self based on that? Because once you break that, your your level of deviation from how you about how you feel about yourself, it just becomes much more muted. So as a Wonder Woman, I, I'm still going to get tripped by you know somebody that that's smarter than me. Right? I'm still going to feel that for an instance, and then I have to just like get over it and go. We just have different processes, right? right. I didn't do wow. This person created this PowerPoint presentation with this, and I didn't do anything. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm like not feeling good enough at that point in time. And I go, okay, stop it. Right, don't do that anymore because you're aware of it. Mm. Like othering yourself kind of in a good way, like treating yourself as another. What last question for me, what is the session like with you? You know, if someone was to work with you because it's so different, like what would that process be like? So it's a normally an 80 minute session and uh, the first half an hour or so, I'm really understanding you. Like what is happening with you from a physical perspective. It's like, what, what do you want to, what do you want to change on the physical level? Like, just let's, let's know where that is. And then how do you live your life? I want to know what you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And I'm going through that with you. So I get a really good understanding of how you live your life today so that we create a plan that we can actually put into that. I'm not creating, I'm not changing people's schedules and like really working with where they currently are because I want them to see success as soon as they can. It, uh, I'm, and within that, within that first half an hour, I, I'm doing that. And then I'm formulating the plan in my head. And if I feel like any, I need any functional medicine testing, then I'll be suggesting that at the time. And then I'm creating a, a dietary plan for them as the base because it's really the foundation. 
putting them on um, certain supplements if I feel that it's necessary and then going through some lifestyle. That's the first session. Then follow-ups, we're really getting into the emotional side of things. Now, since my book came out and people have read it, they'll, they'll, they'll often come in uh, very well-versed and they just, they want to go straight into the emotional side of things. So we'll just go straight in there. It really depends on on where the, where the person is. Mm-hmm. And if they've done some of the written work, we really can get there fast. So in future sessions, it's it, it might be what is what's happening on the surface today that you need some coping skills around. And then it might be, well, let's have a look at what the childhood patterns are. So in the book, I go through a six R reprogramming process, but the three R's in there, which is recognize, reinterpret and release is really the the crucial piece of it. So it's like, let's recognize what your childhood memories were mm. and let's reinterpret it because the most of the time it's some misinterpretation. And, um, and sometimes people have really tragic cases that could be types of sexual abuse, but the you can still reinterpret that because what happens is the person that experiences it often feels like it's their fault. There's some type of shame attached to it. And that's the piece that can really be reinterpreted. And then you need to release it. So the first two are really based on cognitive behavioral therapy. And, you know, psychotherapy is all about that, that recognition and maybe some reinterpretation of it. And the releasing aspect is more of that body release because it's not just in our mind that things get stuck. It's in the body that where things get stuck. And I think it's stuck in the brain, it gets stuck in the fat cells, it gets stuck in the digestive system, it gets stuck in the nervous system and and we've got to clear it out. And there are many therapies out there. Peter Levine has um, somatic experience and um, that's something that people can try if it's really stuck. I re- like EFT, emotional freedom technique. I love... I love breath. I love like Kundalini for some of the releasing pieces when it's really conscious. Mm. So I've... I often do something called a Kundalini Kriya called Fist of Anger in my practice just for three minutes. And it's very emotional. So people will often cry during it. But I have one client who had been subject to horrible racism when she was six or seven years old. And um, there was one instance where she'd gone down to the lake with these peers. And near the lake, there was a whole lot of dead leaves hanging from the trees, like in backs, just holding on to that. And the kid said, that's what we're going to do to you. Like put her up in the bag and she's like, oh my God, I, there must be something so wrong for wrong with me for them to think like that. And within this three minute fist of anger, she was able to forgive them for that there and just the tears just rolled out of her eyes mm. and able to really, really release all of that pain. And so the body work is really imperative. And I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't really stress the importance of the body work enough because I think it's such an important piece of us releasing things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we do have some like quieter male listeners. Mm-hmm. So are there, you know, I know it's not outlined in the book, but just in your experience and even in your relationships, do you see men having different archetypes as well? Yes. And I'm so uh, attached to, to, to yeah, people always <laughs> ask me that. I don't have the experience enough with men to be able to say that that's mm-hmm. what it is, but those archetypes still exist with men. Uh, so like my boyfriend is an absolute nurturer. Um, mm. um, that's, that's, that's what he is. They're all, they're really, you, they're, they're all the same. Like, you know, the, ether- the ethereal one, my ex-boyfriend was the, the ethereal one, right? Mm-hmm. He's like that creative, artistic, airy person. And and then there is the femme fatale. So 
um, a number of gay men will be the femme fatale, but not all. Straight men can be femme fatales too, where it's that, that metrosexual fixation on, on the body. Mm. Um, a lot of them will be like the Wonder Woman because that's the you know masculine model that's out there. But there's also a large subset that is the nurturers because the masculine role is actually to nurture. We tend to think of of the feminine role as nurturing. Actually, no, the masculine role is to nu- is to nurture and to look after. Mm. Wow. Mm. Justin's a nurturer for sure. This has been so interesting. I know. <laughs> I'm You're so excited. So excited. We could do 100 episodes because I have more questions, but I'm so thankful you came. I'm so thankful to know you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a session with you <laughs> and I cannot wait. But where can our readers connect with you? And um, what are we look? What can we look forward to seeing from you in 2019? I think Instagram, which is my name, Donna James, D-A-N-A James, um, there. And then there's my website, which is under the same name. And my consulting website is Food Coach NYC, which at some point I will merge. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and uh, I'm going to be speaking a lot more in 2019. Like I really want to. Uh, share this message. I feel like it's been very well received over the last last six months. And as you, we spoke before, like it was just sort of the right timing for it. Um, I have an amazing product that is in its soft launch right now called the Adrenal Tonic. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, designed to reset the cortisol rhythm. And what it contains is ashwagandha, rhodiola, and cordyceps, as well as some cacao and coconut powder. And it's a really wonderful way to have an afternoon drink wind down time while doing something therapeutic for the body and it tastes really good so that was really important for me to create a product that was not only therapeutic but was like yeah 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 this is what this is actually what i want to have wow so that's, that's when will that be available? it's out and it's available okay, i just great. haven't fully done the marketing strategy on it yeah literally <laughs> what's, the, what's the name of it well, adrenal, tonic. Adrenal, yeah. adrenal tonic adrenal tonic yeah okay, so, so it's totally it's totally out Oh my God. I'll bring it. I'll oh. get you guys some. I'll okay, send it to you. Thanks. Perfect. We'd love to we'll share. We'll take it. <laughs> um, we should do an event with you next year too. If you want to speak. Yeah, over in New York. Tour. In New York. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Okay. We love you guys. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you about this in the secret Almost 30 Podcast Facebook group. We can do that there. And then looking forward to you connecting with Donna. And then um, see you next time. We would love yeah. to have you on again. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so love much. Y'all. It was fun. Yeah, Great. Love you guys. Bye. All right. What archetype are you? Join the secret Facebook group. Yeah. I'm Tell a us. woman, I think. Yeah. I know. I'm so like, I was like, I felt like a few. A I few do really them. know. Yeah. I know. We need to look more. <laughs> um, no, that was a really fun conversation. So join the secret Facebook group. We'll continue talking about that and so much more. Yes. And then almost30podcast.com for tour dates. We are going to 13 different cities. So please check for tickets. Send the events to your friends. We cannot wait to meet you in person. Our ambassador program is popping off. So you can go to our website to hear more information about that. So you can meet amazing women in your city. And then we have your podcast pro, yourpodcastpro.com with all the resources you need to start, monetize, or grow a podcast. Awesome. And the review of the week. Uh, five stars, shifting the paradigm and creating a movement. This podcast found me at the perfect time in my life when things were shifting so much, it was disorienting. I began questioning more deeply spiritually, my mental health and wellness, meditation, relationships, love, everything. 
Krista and Lindsay go deep into all of these topics every single episode. Besides the podcast, the Facebook group is an amazing culture of women supporting women. And it's like having thousands of like-minded friends that you've never actually met with a focus on truly living an authentic, compassionate life that resonates with your best self. I believe this podcast is creating a silent movement and I feel so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Wow. So sweet. Wow. Close my eyes to receive that. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're a part of that. Mm. All of the energy that all of Almost 30 Nation has behind it is really what creates this movement. So thanks so much for being a part of what we're doing. We love you so much. We are here to serve. Amen. See you next week. Let's go. Bye.